is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. On this episode, I am very honored to have my friend Ben here to share some of his experiences. I have known him for nearly a decade, and over the years he has told me an awful lot, much more than the hour-long format of this show could possibly allow. One of the reasons I do these interviews is to give a voice to the people who have had these powerful experiences, yet they, they can't really share what has happened with them. The people around them, their families often, don't want to hear it. I want to help get these stories out there, both so the individual can share an important part of their life and also so that others can hear their stories. Anne Strieber hosted a series here on this site for a few years called the Contact E Interviews. She gave a voice for the real people who wanted to tell their stories. I think these stories are terribly important, and it is a privilege to be able to use this show as a forum to tell these very strange outlying experiences. These are the kind of stories that get ignored by most of the mainstream outlets. Yet, within Ben's account is a subtlety that can't be boiled down into a soundbite. And for me, it felt good to let these accounts be told in a manner that they deserve, with all the odd details included. These experiences can transform people. This conversation with Ben was recorded on Monday, January 13th, 2020. Please enjoy. Ben, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. It's my honor. It's my honor. We met, I think, through my blog. I'm not sure. But we also have met in person a few times. And we've had some long phone conversations. Yeah, yeah. And... You get a very prominent uh, little segment in the first owl book, the book The Messengers. And uh, if we have time, we can go into that. But if not, uh, you know, people can go out and read that in the book. But, um, oh, you know what? I think that's actually... You had actually recorded it as one of your um, first audio snips, I believe, because I heard the I, I was able to hear my own experience and it was a trip. Yes, you're right. And I can, I'll put a link to that little excerpt on... Okay on the show notes. Oh, perfect. I was, just as I was, those words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, wait a minute. I think that's, we, that's up online somewhere. Good. And I love that story. And I use that story as an example when people are like, I don't get this owl stuff. I just don't get it. You know? And then I tell them that story because your story uh, or that story in particular, let's say, um, shines a light on the, the weirdness to all this stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really weird how it unfolds. It's, it's almost like, um, somehow another time just doesn't exist in these experiences. It's, it's sometimes when you tell it, you know, as we get into these stories, I, I feel like sometimes I have to start in the middle and then finish it and then backtrack just to kind of, I don't know, I've, I've told these stories off and on for years and sometimes I start in the middle, sometimes I start at the beginning of the story and I feel like some of these experiences, because they unfold over the course of years, tend to actually start off better in the middle. Uh, yes, and that we're you're dealing with something that's all scrambled up exactly, and that's the problem. Is that the uh, I keep on referencing something that Ann Streber said. She said she had her own BS detector. She knew if a story was real or not, and the way she knew if uh, if it wasn't real is if it wasn't weird, right? So so the story needs to be weird to actually fit the pattern. I think that's something. If someone made up a story, they'd want it to be kind of normal, you know. We, weird, and, weird, and highly personal. I feel like they're personal, uh, almost um, designed specifically for the individual in a lot of ways, and, and it's a weird way. I don't know if it's a self-fulfilled prophecy thing or if a, there's an there's an element of something exterior that's designing this for us. But uh, I certainly feel that they're specific to the individual. And so when I hear someone tell a story and it sounds like every other story, that's when my quote-unquote BS meter tends to go off. But when I hear something that seems tailored to the individual, that's when I start to my ears start to, to perk and I, I start to listen. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, um, you told a story 
that involved a dam and a reservoir. And this one was, this one really blew my mind. And I would love to hear that story again and for the listeners to hear it. Okay, well, this this one's actually, uh, speaking of, I mean, it is weird, but it is typical in the sense that if I was to point to any experience that I've had in my life that I could kind of, you know, put on one of those uh, cheesy shows, you know, where someone's driving on the back roads and suddenly they're, you know, taken aboard a ship, uh, this would be the story that I would point to um, as one of the ones that's a little bit more typical. But um, this one was scary and it had um it had two of my best friends involved in it i was i was 17 years old i had a younger friend named dan he was 16 um and i had an older friend shane um we were, we were all neighbors best of friends um he, he was somewhere probably in the vicinity of 21 at the time and um we had we had all gone out to this local reservoir it's a, a state park closed at night but like the, the kids would always use it it's basically you know, a dam, a tower, a lake, just really pretty to go out there. And um, and we always went out there at night just to hang out, uh, do the things that teenagers do, you know. And that particular night, my friend Dan was always in trouble with his parents. But this particular night, he he wanted to be home on time. And I remember that fact because he was bugging us and bugging us. Well, we have to leave now because I don't want to get grounded. I think there was something that he wanted to go to that weekend. So he actually cared. And um, we were out at the reservoir. We're walking back to the cars and we're talking. And suddenly these bright flashes of light went off. And the, the, the lights were so bright that you would have expected a noise, but it wasn't. There was complete silence. And you had described it as, as because when I found you online, you one of your stories, you had described it as God flicking the light on and off. And that's exactly how it felt. It sort of had like an orange hue to it in a way. But um, when it went off, my friend Shane was a little bit in front of us. And I get really nervous talking about it. I start to shake and stuff because this is something that... Oh, well, this is just take your time. Take your time. And then I want to ask one thing. This was actually on the dam itself? Yeah. Yes. We were walking back from the tower to our car. Because my friend had said, um, we got to get going now because it was 15. The place was about 15 minutes from our house, maybe 10 top, uh, 10, 15 minutes from our, our, our houses. We all lived in the same neighborhood. So we were walking back to the car and there's a there's a spot on the dam and I could point to it. And matter of fact, I go back to it quite often. Um, well, what I did, I've moved away since. But when I lived there, I would actually sometimes just go out there and meditate because I always wondered what had happened. Um, if you want to get into it a little later, uh, other things have happened in that same place since this, because I've gone back alone at night and challenged this um, this I don't know, phenomena. And I'm not claiming that I was aboard a spacecraft or anything. I'm just telling you the, the experience that I've had. In my life, I, I haven't ever made claim to anything specific. I just tell the stories as they happen to me. And they certainly have a flavor of, you know, uh, of alien abduction or of um, ghosts or whatever. But I learned that the best way for me to tackle these is to not put them into categories. And they seem to make sense when I just, like viscerally, they just make sense to me when I don't try to explain them. Um, anyhow, uh, there is hidden meaning in some of these stories. This particular story that I'm telling you right now. Oh, oh so just just what you just what you just said there makes a lot of sense to me. I really get that. You know, like like when you cling to something, you're gripping it too hard, and you're not. You almost start to form the story around your preconception of what it should be, as opposed to actually, you know, just taking the experience and realizing what had happened. Even even no matter how weird it is. Uh, you know, I've had some experiences like this one that I'm telling you right now. It's sort of a little bit typical. It's scary, but there's been some experiences in my life that are just really weird. And um, when I try to, you know, tell it in such a way and put a flavor on it, it just doesn't fit. You know, and I've told these stories, you know, a, a decent amount of time in my life to people who were willing to listen. And I've never changed the I've never changed the, the specifics of the story, but I've admitted things or I've just kind of like put 
a little bit of accent on something because I'm also, as I'm telling these stories, you know, trying to, I'm also, I'm reliving them, but I'm also trying to wrap my head around it. And when someone else is listening to the, the story, uh, it's, it's different than when you remember it because someone else, you're, you're realizing that someone else is seeing it through their lens. And so you're trying to tailor it so that they'll understand it because there's specific things about, you know, some of the experiences that I've had that I know are just something that only I would understand because of coincidences that happened before or after. And they're so interwoven to the fabric of my life that, that some of these stories are, are basically impossible to tell, or I just sound like a raving lunatic and I'm very self-aware. I'm very self-aware of how I sound. Not for this audience, because this audience is very sophisticated and they are up to speed and they, you know, having interacted with the people who listen to this show, yeah, they're going to, this is going to resonate strongly with a lot of people, I'm certain. And that's exactly why I feel like, um, you're right, and that's exactly why I feel like I've never, I've never told these stories publicly. Um, the reason why I'm willing to try it on your show is because I feel like your audience is sophisticated and, um, you know, I've met some of them and, and I'm aware of, you know, if you're here, you're not in the, you know, 101 class anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So actually going back to the story. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was walking on the, um, the dam or we were walking. My friend Shane was probably five feet ahead of me. I remember he was like jiggling his keys, getting his keys ready at this point, we're probably about 75 yards from the car. It's a long dam. There's an overflow section, so I know it happened right before the, the, the bridge where the, where the overflow would go. And we're walking back to the car, and those lights went off. And it was just very – it wasn't um, – they had a rhythm to them. It was like one, two, three. It was like that. It just hit, hit, hit. And there was – there was this confusion that happened where, and I'm, I'll, I'll have to do a little bit of acting here, but I, I started mumbling and everyone was just, uh, 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 I, I had gone from, I'd gone from having a conversation with my friend, Dan, who was exactly to my right. He was parallel with me and my friend Shane, who was a little bit uh, ahead of me and we were having a normal conversation. And the next thing you, I know, I, I couldn't formulate words. I was holding my ears and uh, shaking violently, and I, I looked, I looked to my right, and my friend Dan, who had been walking alongside of me, was now in the fetal position on the on the ground, just shaking back and forth, like rocking back and forth, just going, oh, oh, oh. it was this really freaky moment. I, I still shake every time I talk about it, but um, and my friend Shane was a little bit ahead of me, and I was the first one to sort of come to. Because um, he also was just like walking a little bit like erratically and like stammering and saying nonsensical words. And, I, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm about to swear here, but um, I grabbed his shoulder and I said, Shane, what the fuck just happened? And at that point, he snapped out of it. And my friend Dan had started to snap out of it and he was up to his knees like he was getting up. And finally, we all started saying, what just happened? What just happened? And we all ran back to... The, the truck and it was just got one of those little tiny little Mazda trucks, you know, like it was uh mid nineties. So it was a little Mazda truck. And Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, <laughs> where one of us had to sit um, in the middle was Dan, I believe with the uh, straddling the, um, you know, the, the shift cause it was a standard and the whole ride back, you know, we're just saying, what just happened? What just happened? And we're looking back, you know, I mean, it was, it was a scary ride back too, because we didn't know if this thing was coming back for us, what had just happened. So we, 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 we hauled some butt back. So the 10 minute drive maybe took seven minutes. You know, we were just cruising along the back roads and we get back and drop Dan off. And um, then um, I lived really close to Shane. I was, I was his neighbor. Um, I, I went inside or he dropped me off and it, we didn't say too, too much. And it was the next day or a day later that I found out that my friend Dan had been grounded for, for being a, an hour and a half late. And so I know that we were, because he was adamant about leaving on time that night. I remember his watch. He had one of those swatch watches. Uh, and he kept on putting that light on the, the whole time and saying, we got to go, we got to go. And we kept on teasing him like, no, don't worry about it. He's like, no, I, you know, I can't be five minutes late. And we were an hour and a half late and he was grounded. 
this is very telling. This is very telling. This is very similar to experiences I've had or one experience I've had as well as many that I've heard. So, and, uh, and have you checked in with these folks recently? Do they still have the same memories? Um, my friend Dan passed. Um, he was one of my best friends, but he, he is funny because in school I was, I never told a soul about it. We would, I would kind of hint at it at campfires or people would, you know, ask me, I had a couple best friends that, that I confided in, but Dan just blurted it all around school. And I, my junior year or whatnot, I was the uh, alien abduction kid. And it, it kind of, as much as I was still all right with everyone and everyone was fine, it was always something that like bothered me because I feel like there was some kids that just looked at me funny afterwards, you know? Yeah, I can imagine. But yeah, he blurted it all around school. And my friend Shane, um, he remembers it to this day. Uh, Actually, a little bit of follow-up. About five or six years ago, I was teaching in the snowboard, and we were in the the lounge uh, warming up. And I actually brought up the conversation. We hadn't talked about it in years. And I said, can you just tell me the story about, you know, what happened that night in your own words, I'll shut up about it because I want to be sure that you're remembering it the same way that I'm remembering it. And he told it the exact way. The only detail that he leaves out is that Dan was in the fetal position. And I don't think that he realizes that because I was the first one to come to. And Dan, I I know Dan remembered it because he, he remembers like just being scared out of his mind. And he said, I was laying down but I, I, he wasn't laying down. I, I saw him. He was like, I mean, I guess he was prone, but he was rocking back and forth in the fetal position. Now, one of the weird things that happened that night when Shane told me the story was that he actually backed it up. He goes, you know, Ben, I never told you this, but one of my first memories is when I was little and I was playing Tonka trucks in the yard and there was a strange craft that was in the yard or in the, in the air and um, I watched it, and I just held my Tonka truck and watched this thing. And I, I asked him, how do, how do you describe it? And he said it was like the Apollo module, but mixed. And he said the reason why I remembered it was I was watching um, Ancient Aliens. And what are those Indian crafts, the ancient ones? What are those called? Oh, the Vamanas. Yes. He said he saw one of those. I said, Shane, that sounds ridiculous. He said, yeah, it was ridiculous. My, in my memory, it's one of those. And let me just tell you, like, Shane has been my best friend since, I mean, uh, the kid was babysitting me when I was in diapers. And like I said, he was the uh, older one. And, um, and you know, you go through life, you know, but I, I've always kept in touch with him. And he's never, ever told me that story until that night and he's never told it again and it's just it, it was it was just jaw-dropping because that kid that guy is just so um grounded um it it was something different you know um, for him to admit that that story but he said it was one of his earliest memories and that's something that like a ufo investigator would 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 respect and understand and would point to that as a little more of a, in a way, a subtle confirmation, you know, very often, I mean, the, the flying saucer shape certainly gets described, but there are plenty of other things. And sometimes they're very, very weird and, and just don't seem to make sense at all. I, I uh, spoke with one woman who, and I helped her draw this image and it was a sort of like candelabra. It was very elaborate and just didn't make sense and it didn't seem at all, it wasn't aerodynamic at all. It was this odd kind of weird uh, fuselage surrounded like a chandelier candelabra type thing. It was very strange. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if this was an actual nuts and bolts type of craft, like and I think, well, then why? But then at the same time, I don't doubt his story. Um, I truly believe he, he believes he saw that. Um, but anyhow, that, that was just a, a weird thing that, that he, you know, he admitted to that night. I guess we can move on. Yeah, yeah. So here, let's um, let's uh, let's take a quick break. We'll do this now. For free Dreamlanders, we will be playing a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on the unseen, and I am speaking with my friend Ben, and we are talking about some of his experiences that he's had over the years. Now, we talked a little bit before we went on the air and shared some emails back and forth. And there is a story 
and I I call it the blue glass story. But what do you what do you call the story? Oh, um, boy, I, I would say the Raven story, but blue glass for sure. There was there was I'd say it was an awakening story because um, when I experienced it, I think this was the moment in my life where after after this happened, I took a look at everything that had happened to me as a kid and all my experiences. And I just stopped putting them in boxes because this, this particular set of coincidences was, uh, it's funny. It was like your map experience. It was the, it was the day that I woke up. I was young though. Um, but it was the day that I woke up and said, reality is not what I think it is. There's something deeper. There's something, um, different. And I, it, and it just, it changed my outlook forever. And and we were, we sat together at Suzanne Chancellor's house. This was a, over a year ago in the, was it over a year ago now? God, it was over a year ago because it was November. So um, yeah, it was a, a year and two months or something like that. And you told the story, I had heard most of it, but you told it with a small circle of friends, all of whom have had experiences uh, you told the story and it was riveting just, and I, what I'm asking you is just to tell it completely and thoroughly. We have all the time in the world to tell this in a way that includes it all. All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll give it a go. I mean, it, it is a very difficult story to tell. Um, and I have, like I said, I've, I've told this one a bunch of times, but, um, tends to work better when I tell it from the middle and then work backwards. So absolutely. Let me try that. Okay, so um, I'll start here. Um, I was somewhere, it was my, I'd say, freshman year of college. I was back. Um, I was mowing the lawn over at my grandmother's house. Um, my grandfather had passed years earlier, and I was over at my grandmother's house a lot. My grandfather was just very meticulous about his yard, and so I was always there to kind of pay homage to him and try to maintain that, every, you know, all the bushes had to be straight, that kind of thing. So I had, I had been mowing the lawn. I sat down in front of, of a Mother Mary statue um, that I think every grandmother at that time had. It was like one of those ones with, you know, the Mother Mary in the seashell in the backyard with flowers to either side, that kind of thing. And I was sitting in front of that, and um, this strange thought came to me. It was such a peaceful, warm day, and if there was anything like heaven on earth, it was that. It was like that, just that warm breeze, and I, I was sitting there, and I had this thought, like, if there are indeed ascended masters, if there's, if there's consciousness beyond death, and what does it feel like to be a Mother Mary if indeed she's real? And when that happened, there was like this calm feeling and I could just sense everything around me. It was, it was a trip. I, and I wasn't on anything. I, I, it was just, and I could actually hear the dishes in the kitchen and I could sense my grandmother in the kitchen and just that, that sort of tissue paper, leathery hands, like washing the dishes. I just had this like almost out of body weird feeling. And when that happened, this giant raven came down, landed on the on the statue, and just stared at me and just like cocked its head back and forth and ah, ah, it was just like it was cawing at me and there was Wait, this, just actually on Mary's head. It was on well, it was on the on the shell. Okay, got it. Got it, was it. Like you know, where it was not on her head; it was on the shell above, you know, the part of the statue there. So it was standing on that on that backdrop, and it was cawing at me. And when it happened, it just, it felt otherworldly. Like I had seen, there's plenty of ravens around, but this this thing was just big. And it just had this like, pier, these piercing eyes. And then it flew away and the moment was gone. And so I wrapped up that day. And of course that experience haunted me for the next couple of days. And um, at this point, I think I was going through sort of a, you know, obviously that kind of stuff was on my mind, like, you know, ascended masters and all that kind of stuff. So I was going through a phase where, where I was thinking about this kind of stuff, but that, that haunted me. And so I went over to um, an oak tree in, that was in my backyard. Now, now I, I lived in another town from my grandmother and I'm at this tree and I'm sitting underneath the tree thinking about it. And keep in mind, this was an oak tree. And suddenly I just got the, the inclination. I'm, I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk. And so I started walking. I just kept on walking and walking. And now 
Probably five miles later, I walked all the way to the mall, still thinking about this experience, wondering what it was. It was bothering me. I walked into the mall, walked straight up to the bookstore, and I decided, okay, I'm going to go into that bookstore. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to pick a book off the shelf, and in that book is going to be the answer. It was like an epiphany. It was, it was this weird, like I was so sure of myself. I went in, I found my way down an aisle, I closed my eyes, and I picked out a book. And that book was, it's, I opened my eyes, and it was The 21 Lessons of Merlin, A Study in Druidic Magic and Lore. And so I was like, oh, druids, all right. I, I, the only thing I knew about druids at the time was I was kind of nerdy, and I'd played Dungeons and Dragons, so I knew that Druids, you know, I kind of knew a little bit of the backstory. Hey, I, and I and I was very nerdy, too, and I played Dungeons and Dragons, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dungeons and Dragons came up a little bit on a show previous, but anyway, this yeah, is yeah, great. Yeah. So, Keep going. This is great. Okay, so um, paid for the book, went home, uh, obviously had to walk all the way back, but it was, it was kind of like going on a walkabout, you know, those kind of... Um, I felt like I had to work to get to this. Like I didn't just drive my car to the store and get it. Like I felt like it was an adventure in and of itself. And that's an important. So if, if someone's just hearing the story, they might think, well, why did he walk to the store? But for some reason there was a, I felt like I had to go on an adventure to get something. And so that's what happened. It just kind of unfolded that way. Anyhow, so I'm sitting under the tree, back in the tree. And I start reading the book and the first two pages of the book, something like that, it happens where this giant raven comes down, lands on a, on a tree, and starts crowing to young Arthur. And so Arthur follows the raven, and he ends up with, with Merlin. So Merlin, in the book, it's about King Arthur. Um, it's kind of a parable book where they, I think it's Douglas Monroe, if I remember right, was the author. And he would tell a, a parable and then he would like, put a chapter in it that was, um, um, you know, the lore or um, spells or whatnot. So you would learn about it through the parable and then you would learn. And it was interesting. I just kept on reading it. But was, what was weird was when I opened the book and the first pages were of a raven. And so I was obviously captivated by it and had to read. And honestly, it's a hard read. It, there's a, there's, honestly, there's some parts that are just pretty, pretty dull. But I just powered through it. And my whole life for the next two weeks as I like absorbed this book would unfold in such a way that something would happen in my external life and it would be in the next chapter. For instance, um, decided to go with my friend Shane and a couple other friends, uh, Lucky and Joan, and we went to a place out in Maine um, for the weekend. And I brought the book with me. And I'm sitting on um, the... Um, the shore, it was like a rocky main shore, overlooking this beautiful lake, reading the book, just in, having a nice summer day. And my glasses fell off um, and I accidentally stepped on them. And I went up and my friend Lucky actually gave me a pair of glasses and they were blue sunglasses. And it had just happened that I was reading a chapter about how the Druids used blue filters to see into the spirit world. They would put them over their candles or whatnot and kind of give that blue hue to everything. And they believed, at least according to Douglas Monroe, that, that it would help them to enter the spirit world. So it's funny, when Lucky handed me the glasses, I said, oh, look, I'm in the spirit world now. And like, he just looked at me like, what the hell is this kid talking about, you know? So um, we had this idea, we're going to go out to this island. Oh, um, shoot, I, see, this is, this is difficult to tell. In the book, our, um, Merlin hands Arthur a blue stone, and he says to him, anytime that you want me, you have to place this blue stone under an oak tree. Now, remember that at the beginning of this, I was sitting under an oak tree. So, like, I was... I was thinking to myself, okay, I got to find this blue stone. I got to find this blue stone. And I decided I, I was I was sure of myself that the blue stone was going to be on this island that was that was out in the lake, you know. And so I, I I didn't tell any of my friends about what was going on. They probably saw that I was a little bit weirded out about everything. I was really absorbed in the book. But I said to my friend Shane, I said, let's paddle out to that island out there. 
So we took a canoe and we went out to the island and it was all, I was looking for an oak tree, thinking for sure I was going to find this blue, you know, this blue stone under an oak tree. But all I found was mosquitoes and, and uh, birch trees. And so we're going back to the canoe and my friend Shane goes, oh, oh, hey, by the way, I found this for you. And I, 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 this is when my jaw dropped. He turns to me and he hands me this polished, like black stone with a bluish hue. But in, with my sunglasses now, it was blue. You know, so like if I didn't have those, those sunglasses on, if I couldn't quote unquote see in the spirit world, it would have just been a sort of a black stone. But how often does your best friend say, hey, here, I have a rock for you. And it was just like this really strange, the way that my life was unfolding was happening along with this book. So at this point, you know, I'm just, uh, I, I was so just not distraught, but just awestruck. And um, so I'm getting, I'm getting into the canoe to get back. And at this point now, I, once I got into the canoe, I started to really doubt myself. Like I'm thinking, okay, Ben, you're just tripping out. Like, this is just weird. You're trying to draw conclusions that aren't there. You're looking for things. You know, I had that moment of doubt because I, as much as I am, you know, sort of woo-woo, I am also a very grounded, sensible person. Um, as I'm floating back in the canoe and I had this moment of doubt, that's when it hit me. I had actually painted this entire scene uh, a year prior as a freshman in college, as a, as a color study in one of my painting classes. And the painting was this. It was two people in a canoe um, coming out of a Stonehenge type of monolith. And then in the background was a mountain. And it, I mean, it might as well have been the mountain that, that was in Maine. There was an island and there was a, there was a cabin. And on the cabin, there was two little sheep. And as I was you know, canoeing back to the cabin, there are my two friends, Lucky and Joan. And it was like they were in the same spot that they would have been. The cabin was nearly identical. And then also in the, the face of the mountain, um, I, uh, sorry, in the, in the mountain, I had painted a face. And I remember my roommate at the time said, so what's, what's with the face? And I had no idea. I was just kind of making it up as I went along. It honestly wasn't the best painting in my life. I, it was more about we were learning color. And I said, oh, that's just some wizard. He goes, oh, what's his name? I said, well, Merlin, of course. I remember saying that. So it was just this weird moment that I had painted everything that unfolded. And there was also a chapter in the book about monoliths and stuff like that, too. So there was some more meaning hidden in it that I didn't really get to. But um, and then one last detail is that go full circle back to when I painted that painting. And this is why I kind of have to start in the middle. Um, go back a year. And the night I painted that painting, there was thousands of crows uh, around my um, my dorm that night. And my roommate that night had actually painted thousands of crows. There were so many of them that they had blotted out the sky. And his painting was awesome. I mean, his blew mine out of the water. Mine was not very great. I remember the content of it, and, but I, I had thrown away the painting because I just, it was more of a homework piece. But his painting was a keeper, and it was all ravens blotting out the sky. So it was weird that it started with just uh, thousands of ravens, and in the middle there was a raven. And then the book unfolded and I had actually painted the whole thing prior to it happening along with the blue glasses, along with the stone. And then obviously that sort of that feeling, that esoteric kind of feeling that I had while sitting there speaking to Mother Mary or whatever the heck I was doing that day. Um, so, yeah, that's the story. Yes, yes. And this is exactly the kind of thing that um, that I'm drawn to, these kinds of stories. I mean, I think that there's like a... Uh, like a preconception about what these mysteries are and people just want to keep on telling, you know, the UFO flew out of the West and crossed over the horizon and then we saw it and that kind of thing is these kinds of stories, what you've just shared, I've heard in some form or another many, many times. And this is what I'm trying to untangle. I, I don't, I'm not any further along the path than I was a decade ago. 
Yeah, and that's I've sort of um, kind of come to the realization that I don't think I'm ever going to find the answer. I don't think that there is an answer. I think it's more about playing and opening your mind to just um, realizing that this world is not mundane, that this, this world is a playground and that, you know, miracles can happen and do happen. And the very fact that we exist is a miracle. So I, I just feel like it's more of an awakening thing than it is something that we can research and then find the answer to. And I've kind of just come to that realization in life. And now it's something that I live with that these sort of things happen to me on occasion. And when they do, it's a wow moment. But at the same time, I enjoy my normal mundane life of going to the beach and doing things and, you know, as well. Well, we are living in a magical world. All we have to do is be aware of it. And I think this stuff is happening all the time to people. And somehow or another, we're, we've, we're filtering it out just out of, out of uh, habit or out of oh, just wanting to be taken seriously. And we somehow filter these things out, but I'm certain these things are unfolding all the time. Well, I think they, they happen to people. And um, like you just said, every day, I think some people recognize them and some people just don't. You know, I think you have to be able to recognize them in order to get to the next level of things really happening, really unfolding. I think some people just have those surface level ones like, oh, I thought of a friend that I haven't seen in 30 years and that friend just happened to be at the grocery store that day. Hadn't thought of them in 20 years. You know, that kind of a thing. And that, that's still magic, that kind of that kind of event. That it is, yes, I'm not saying that it's not magic for sure. What I'm saying is that there are there are certain levels that like, you know, a friend giving you a rock, this whole thing, a painting that you've painted. There's There's these twisted tales that when you really sort of get get into, immerse yourself and allow these experiences to unfold and, and sort of um, roll with it that and focus on it, they, they tend to happen more. I agree. I don't know if that, that, that they happen more or if you just notice them more. And I, that's, not, that's a question. And that we may not be able to answer that. Hey, let's take our second break. And for free Dreamlanders, you will hear a few commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on The Unseen, and we are talking with my friend Ben, and we are trying to make sense of his lifetime of strange experiences. Now, this is one more story that I heard you tell, and I, I need to hear it again. This was remarkable, and it took place at the very same reservoir that the first story took place at. Yeah, so um, I, had, I had told you the story. I, I had gone back annually probably semi-annually for a little while definitely annually for a while and i challenged myself to go back to that same spot alone every year for the longest time and then as i grew older there was years that i forgot and stuff but um it was definitely a habit of mine to go back to that spot and i like just like you i could draw an x on where i was at and and i never really expected things to happen i mean i guess there was a there was a hope that something was going to happen and but it was more about the challenge of me facing it and i would go there out on my uh, on my own alone so this particular night it was actually closer to when it happened i was probably I don't know, 19 20 21 some, somewhere in there and i had gone back to that same place i i was sitting there meditating at this point and I was expecting something to happen that night. Like for some reason I was really worked up about it. I, I, I don't know about you, but when these types of events happen in my life and I've had quite a few of them, I get this, I get this gut feeling that something's about to happen. Something's going to happen. There's even been times when, when I've actually written to, you know, close friends and said, Hey, you know, something happens to me. I just feel like something's going to happen. So I get like a, a premonition kind of feeling. Well, this particular night, it was strong, and I, I went out there fully expecting something to happen. So I went out, and um, I was meditating on that spot, and suddenly the woods, the wood line, just started to just, you know, blow up with noise. It sounded like a herd of deer were just in the woods alongside, and I just, I just, knew, I knew, well, I didn't know, but I, I had the sense that it was quote unquote them. Like it was the other, it was something other than just creatures. Now I grew up in the woods and I know full well what the sounds of the woods are. 
And this was something that, I mean, it was large and there was many of them. So if it was a pack of coyotes, maybe, or a herd of deer, maybe, but I mean, it was, it was weird that, 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 that they, that they suddenly appeared there. Like I didn't hear them walking into that spot. It just started rustling. Anyhow, I walked down to the edge of the, the woods and I said to the woods, I know you're in there. Come on out. I'm ready. Or no, I know you're in there. Come on out. I know you're in there. Something along those lines. And nothing happened. But when I said that, I got this sense that no, 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 no. If you are ready, you'll step into the darkness. You'll step into the woods. If you're scared of woods, then you can't handle us. And it was it was this visceral sort of I don't want to say telepathic because that's assuming that this is something that happened, but I felt strongly. It did not feel like my voice. It did not feel like, like I had said it in my head. And when that happened, instead of going into the woods, I just, I ran, I couldn't handle it. So now fast forward a day or two later that another night, again, um, growing up in the woods, there's nothing to do. So my friends and I were down in the same spot. And um, I remember my friend Pete yelling, well, um, we were down there hanging out. And my friend Pete said, Maya's here. It was a a friend of ours. Everyone hide. So everyone scattered. And I ran directly into those woods, not even thinking because I was in a good mood. I think we probably even had a couple beers or something. I went into those woods and sat down and this kid Maya had walked over to the edge of the woods exactly where I had been standing. He looked, he he had the same outfit on basically that I had had that night. He had the hat, he had the flannel. It looked like me in the moonlight. And he stood at those edges of the woods and said, I know you're in there, come on out. And it was those exact words that I had said. And it was just this weird flip of the script. And whenever these types of experiences happen to me, I feel like, there's a lesson to be learned or there's like there's toying with reality or there's these coincidences that happened. And that's why to this day, even though I have no proof that it wasn't a herd of deer, um, I just always kind of feel like there was something to that experience. And then what was the lesson? I feel like um, the lesson, there was, a, I guess there was a few lessons that if I was to take away from it is that I think that I'm ready and then when I go to face it, I, I'm not ready. Like, I just feel like there's something overwhelmingly powerful. Like, people people say to me, you know, well, if you believe in aliens, why don't they just land in our yard? Or what if, I don't think it's anything like that. I, I think that if we were to face whatever it is, it would just blow our minds. But I don't, I don't feel like it's something that I don't subscribe to the notion that it's, you know, aliens and um you know, tin cans coming to take our blood. I don't, I don't subscribe to any of that. I think it's something that's just beyond our scope. And I don't think that we have the ability to face it in many ways. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the takeaways was that when I was standing there and I was invited into the darkness, I don't feel like what people might actually take that as like, well, if it's darkness, it's evil. That's not how I took it. I took darkness more of a lack of information as a, as a, as a jump into the unknown. Um, and I just couldn't do it. And the forest, the forest too. Yeah. yeah the forest, the forest. And this is something that, you know, there, there's some, there's a, there's a natural mystical element to my experiences. Um, you know, sort of a pagan thing. And, and like I've told you on many occasions, there's oftentimes, a strange King Arthur vibe. There's these weird sort of twisted little coincidental synchronicities that are mixed in with it that have like these King Arthur vibes. I don't even know why. It's not like, I don't know. It's it's just a, an odd thing. So um, it, this is one of those cases where um, I wasn't able to face it as well. Was I, I, I told you another story where I think whatever whatever it is, I, I sort of may have seen and I still, I still can't remember it. Um, and that was that time that I was driving home from work. Um, I don't know if you wanted me to, to go into that one. Yes, let's tell that one. That would be great. Okay. 
So um, I was driving home from from work one night. Um, it was fall. I know that. And I was in, in my probably late 20s at this point. And so the sun was setting. It was sort of that really pretty time in that twilight. And um, so I was driving back from work. There was these little weird wispy sort of things happening that were flying by my car. And they felt... And I don't want to say the word orb at all because I, that's not how they felt. They, but they did look like balls. And and if I was to describe them, I would say a ball of feathers. And that's really just not what they were. So I, I don't know what they were. They whizzed by my car real fast. And I thought to myself, were those owls swooping down? What What were those? And there was this side road that was um, like a dirt side road that I just decided I'm going to take that side road. So I took the side road and I stopped the car and I, and I got out of the car and this is where things get really a little bit freaky because there was something was standing walking towards me in the woods. And to this day, um, when I try to remember it, I, I can I can only remember a white deer or a white horse, and it fluctuates back and forth. And I just know that that's not what I saw. And I, I, I get really creeped out about this, but whatever it was, whatever I saw that night, it scared me so much that that I I emptied my bladder into my pants, and I just I peed myself. I and I ended up getting back into the car and just screeching out of there. And I got home, and I remember at the time, uh, my wife had asked me, well, what happened? What, what happened? And I had I made up a story where I spilled coffee all over myself, and I put the jeans in. But to this day, I, I don't know I don't know what happened. It's just kind of freaky. And that's where I'm getting – this is why I kind of went off on this tangent. It was because I don't think we're ready to face whatever it is. I just don't. I don't think – Whatever I saw that night, I don't think I was ready to see. I, I agree. And I think that landing on the White House lawn is is so simplistic. Yes. And I think, I, I think Whitley even said this. He said, you know, it won't be like we think it is. Disclosure will not happen from a podium in the White House. No. It's much more likely that the beings will simply start coming through our bedroom walls. Yeah, and uh, he could well be right. I have no idea. Or this this whole notion of disclosure just might be, you know, like a a, a carrot on a string. Uh, because what difference does it make if you're disclosing it to people who aren't ready for it anyway? Um, I think there are people who are just ready to kind of skirt the edges of things that are peripheral, and there are people who just aren't. And um, that's what this world is all about. It's, there's some people who can start to face this. I think in many ways, I'm one of them. Um, but at the same time, there's only so many levels that I can go before, uh, you know, I, I'm making accidents in my pants. <laughs> yeah, well, let's get a, now there's a, there's a part two to this story, right? right. Uh, no, that, that's the whole, that's the whole story, I guess. I mean, but wait a minute, you were training for a half marathon 15 years later. Oh, yes. Yes. See, that's, that's how twisted these stories are. And how they're how difficult they are to tell. So this was, you know, fairly recently. This was five to seven years ago. I was training for a half marathon. And for me, this was a very spiritual thing. I mean, I'm not, you know, in the in the greatest of shape. I, I'm I, running to me is really difficult. And so in my later years, you know, I'm 43. I've done things that um, I'm not great at that I just enjoy. Like, I'm not a great snowboarder, but I love it, so I snowboard. Um, and I'm not a great runner. You know, I, I finished, like, 60th from last or whatever in the races. But I love it, so I do it. So, anyhow, I'm training for a um, half marathon, and I decide I'm going to run out to where that happened in my town, wherever that dirt road was, um, because I want to I wanna see if I, if I can remember it because it was bothering me at the time. Like, I, I still, I want to face it. I just don't know if I can. So I ran all the way to that point, and it turns out that from my house to this point and back was exactly 13.1 miles. It was, it was a half marathon. So 
to me, that's another weird little coincidence that something spiritual that I'm doing, you know, 20 years later still applies within this story. And it's weird. And so I get, I get to the spot where I think the road is and the road isn't even there. So now, you know, I'm either crazy, the whole experience didn't happen. Do I back up and think, wait a minute, when those white wispy things flew by my car, is that when reality stopped? Like, it's just, it baffles my mind. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. So so let me just, let me butt in here for a second here. Uh, the, the road. Yeah. The road, like you felt you knew where it was. Yes. In my mind, the road was in a specific place. And then you, this is right near your home. This is a place you've lived all your life. Yes. And when I when I ran there, it was not there. And I went back in my car thinking, well, maybe it was a different. You know, I went back later in my car thinking maybe it was maybe I was wrong about it. And there's no road. There's just no road. And how did you get off the road? I mean, if you were driving home from work and these wispy little balls of feathers made themselves known. Yeah. How did you end up at this spot that that now you feel doesn't exist? I don't know. That's the thing. That's, that's what I'm getting at. See, like I don't know from I don't know from what point. Um, obviously, if the road doesn't exist, I, I wasn't really there. So I know I'm not crazy. I mean, I'm a very well-adjusted person, um, but I I don't know what to make of it, Mike. I really don't. I don't know if you know. I've gone back looking for that road so many times, thinking maybe I was on a different. And it's just, it's not, it doesn't exist. How interesting! Now, this is all. This is all your stories so far have like involved the forest, and the forest for me is like a, in in um, I guess like in dream analysis. If someone says I'm in a forest, I would say, oh, you're in a place of testing. The forest is where a young Native American would go to test himself. Let's say, yes, or you know, the walkabout. And this is interesting also that you walked to the bookstore initially and that you ran yeah, it, to I, the to the site that didn't exist. Yeah, it's it's weird when you take a look at it because it's very archetypical. You know, it feels like an archetype, like um like I'm being led on some sort of a spiritual awakening, like you would take a look at a shaman from the past. Um, and you know, the walkabouts that's, I learned when I, when I saw that term, um, somewhere after it had happened, I was like, well, that's what I was on that day. And that's why I use it to this day. It was a walkabout. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. Fair. So one question here, you, you never told me this, but we exchanged some emails and you mentioned that the first time you saw the cover of communion, you were, you said you were about 10 or 11 years old. Yes. What, what happened? Um, so I'm. I can just first I'll preface it this way. I have never um, claimed to have seen an alien and I've actually never claimed to have seen a UFO. I've just had these weird things have happened and they're definitely peripheral. They definitely. So in your book, I think you called a maybe person. Um, I would consider myself a maybe person, but at the same time, I'm sure of myself that the, these things have happened. I just maybe about what the heck it is. Um, anyhow. So, um, yes. So the year was what, 1987, I believe. I think I, I did the math one time. Uh, Whitley's book came out in 1987. Yes. I thought it was 86 and then 87 was like the book tour and all that kind of like happened. No, I think I, I, I should be able to do this because I've referenced that book so many times. The Christmas Day event where he saw an owl, oddly, and at the same time he had what we would now classify as UFO contact. Mm -hmm. That happened at his cabin Christmas Day, the night of Christmas Day, 1985. Okay. The year of 1986 was spent writing the book, and the book was finally published in 1987. Okay. So if you could look through the archives of Entertainment Tonight, the show Entertainment Tonight, do you remember that show? Oh, yeah. Okay. I can I can hear the music and the, the big hair, big hair. That was... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so if that if it was eighty seven, that means I was eleven years old. Um, so I was eleven or twelve ish. My mom was going to night school. She was studying to be a teacher, and my dad worked out on the road, so he was not home. And my sister was gone, so I had the house to myself. Um, Entertainment Tonight was on, and I remember them teasing in the commercials. You know, 
you want to see what a real alien looks like? Well, we have this picture, and it was the cover of it was the cover of communion that they were teasing. They weren't showing it yet. They were just saying that they knew what an alien looked like. Now, I'm 11 years old, and I had watched plenty of horror movies at the time. I'm not a squeamish person, and I, I was excited to see a quote-unquote alien. That I, I, I was into this. I knew, you know, this was it. This was going to be the alien, you know. It's funny. I'm just very innocent. I remember making myself a bowl of popcorn and going into the living room to watch the entertainment tonight. Now, keep in mind that it is 1987, and I think I had three channels to choose from on TV. So I sat there with my bowl of popcorn, and finally when that segment came on and they showed the the book cover, I had basically at that point a nervous break uh, breakdown. I, I lost it. The popcorn, I spilled it all over the floor. I backed up so hard into the French doors behind me that I think I cracked the um, the wood that was there. Like I slammed into it, I like jumped off the beanbag that was on the floor. I was wearing only um, some like sweatpants and a t-shirt, no socks or shoes. And I, you know, it was cold outside. I lived in New Hampshire um, and I, I ran outside. Um, I was too scared to be in the house. And I danced on the cold tar of our driveway so that my feet wouldn't be cold for a good solid hour waiting outside for my dad to get home and spinning around in circles and sure of myself that giant ants were coming to get me. I, I lost it. I, it was, so that was my experience of seeing the communion cover. Now seeing the cover of communion shows up over and over and over and over in this lore. Okay. And um, Suzanne Chancellor, our friend has almost the same story of seeing that that cover for the first time and, and having a powerful emotional response in the grocery store. I think she saw it. Now, it's interesting. I saw that cover. I remember seeing that. I was living in New York City at the time. I must have been in my mid-20s. And I, I, I saw that cover, and I, my very first reaction— now, this is at a point where I had no knowledge at all of anything in my life that, that would resemble, you know— this that's where I was at that time. And I and I said, Yeah. And I said, That's not right. I was like the police sketch artist. <laughs> you know, like someone was drawing the thing for me and I was like, Is this what an alien looks like? And I'm like, It's close. Right. It's really close, but it's not quite right. And as an illustrator, like I wanted to like say, Oh no, 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 they just I'm gonna change the shape of the head just a little bit. And and the nose is a little different. Right, right. I remember thinking that and now and I remember at the time thinking, like, why am I thinking that? And I remember being very skeptical of that book. If you recall that book, I think on every page it said a true story. Right. And I, I was like, is this, is this, is is this somehow? I had read War Day before that, so I was familiar with Whitley Strieber, and I had actually seen the movie um, uh, Wolfen. So I was, I've, and there's a funny little. I'm just going to add one little thing. So in War Day. They go to Grace Church after the bomb goes off. This takes place in New York City. And these people are, everyone's sort of shell-shocked, and they all go to Grace Church, which is this beautiful church on the corner of 10th Street and Broadway. My dorm room at NYU overlooked that church. Huh. So that was an odd little detail for me. Like, I felt, like, curiously, like, connected um, but just the, the intimacy of that moment, like these people are seeking solace. They go to this beautiful old church. I, I knew that church very well. I used to go there and read. I would go there and take my, my uh, college books and sit in the pews and just read. It was has such a magical place. Now, this is the problem. We tell these stories and they go all over the place. I know. And that's why, that's why I told you it's going to be difficult to tell these stories on a radio. And I've never, I've never told these stories you know, publicly before. One and one of the reasons is they're so difficult to tell without sounding, you know, um, uh, slightly crazy. And that's actually when I hear when I when I hear someone tell them and they start to sound this the the that's how I know this person has legitimately you know um, experienced something. Um, when they start to try to have a difficult time telling these stories, it's it's got it's it points to the fact that it's probably you know at least in part true or true to them. Or true enough. 
Agreed, agreed. And then there's a there's a chaos to these stories. They're not they don't get tied up in a pretty bow at the end. These stories are a mess. And 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 not only that, but twenty years from now there might be an additional add-on to the story, you know, that that something unfolds in my life that I'm like, oh, well that's that's weird. That ties into something that happened five years prior, you know? Uh, it's it's just it, it's almost as if they're they're woven into the fabric of our timelines somehow. And then, but was, yes, and 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 the the threads are like it's messy. The threads aren't. It's not a tidy weave. Let me put it that way. It's a it's a chaotic weave. Sure. And uh, oh, here's what I was going to say. So eventually, I did read the book Communion. I got it from the uh, the Jackson Hole Library in the summer of 1991, and I. Excuse me, it was 1992. And I, like, freaked out at reading it. So it wasn't the cover that freaked me out. It was actually the reading it. There was this sense of, like, oh, no. Like, oh, oh, no. It's like, like, I didn't want, I didn't want that story to be true. Like, I did not want that story to be taken seriously. I did not want to take his story seriously because it it reflected back at me so many odd little things in my life. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't for a good decade later that I that I finally read Communion and I felt the same way because at the time when it came out like I said I was 10 or 11 I, I wasn't about to read it. I was just happy to see the cover on Entertainment Tonight. But when I absorbed the book years later, um there were certainly elements of that book that that definitely reigned true with me. Um, and I think with anyone that has really kind of gone down these roads, you know, as much as we might not be having the same experiences in many ways, they're the same experiences. What's your, what's your sense of how this has impacted you, these experiences? Um, Good and bad. Um, I would say the bad was that it makes me feel a little alienated from, you know, um, let's just call them the muggles, <laughs> the people that, you know, uh, have their normal life and are into sports and, you know, talk um, sports stats. And I, I, I can certainly have my normal conversations about the weather and stuff, um, but I only feel you know, people who have experienced these experiences, I instantly feel closer to. Um, and there's a certain camaraderie about that. But I also feel that these experiences, I used to want to share them. I used to want the world to know about them. And and I wanted people to, to understand them, especially those people around me. But now I've reached a point in my life where I realized that, that these are custom tailored to me they're for me, and there's something there's something sacred about them, and um, uh, I don't really care if I ever get to tell the world about them or if the world, you know, hears about them. Uh, this, these are for me, and they have been a growth thing. Um, when I was younger, um, I would say they, they came in phases. Like um, when I was younger, there was a certain um, ghost story feel to them that was creepy, and you know. Um, my mom was involved. She had scratches on her body. There was there was a lot of things that happened in that house when I was growing up that we thought there was a poltergeist, you know. Um, and then a- after a while, it changed, especially as a teenager. And then and then now I feel like um, even the the experiences that I still have to this day, they feel like they teach me lessons. So I feel like I went through. Um, I had to walk through the fire. Um, or I had to like basically go through an initiation process. And now whatever it is, whoever it is, or maybe it's just an aspect of myself, if it is, it's so foreign that it doesn't feel like me um, and it teaches me things. Um, matter of fact, I, I, I'm going to keep this one close to me and not tell it, but I had an experience a few weeks ago um, that taught me a lesson and I changed my mind about something. So to this day, um, I would say that I would I wouldn't trade it for the world. I had a fellow I spoke with, and he said I asked him the same question. You know, like well, actually, the question I asked him is, is if you had a choice, would you live without these experiences? And he said, if I didn't have these experiences, I would be unrecognizable to myself. 
Agreed. They've shaped my personality. They've shaped the way I view the world. And they've, and they've given me a sense of magic that I feel the world has that a lot of people don't recognize, or at least they might recognize it, but I don't see them recognizing it. I feel like this is, this is something that has made me view the world completely differently. And in even in some cases, I feel like it has allowed me to almost impose some magic on the world, to create magic in the world and play with the world in a different way um, through the lessons that I've learned. And this is a beautiful point to end this. This has been a delight. I, I'm really grateful. We sat together in a room, you, me, Suzanne, a handful of other folks, Jack, Andrea, and the sense of camaraderie in that room was was so remarkable for me and the sense of i guess importance so i'm i'm glad that you and i both got to share that that beautiful evening i agree and you know it's funny how how instantly when you meet someone who's gone down these roads how much of a brother you guys you know or sister you feel with people who have had that and that's something else that it's brought me some great friendships and, and so thank you you're very welcome ben this has been a delight all right thanks mike This is Mike, and I am chiming in at the end after the editing. Um, early on in the show, we mentioned that I had done an audio reading of some of Ben's owl experiences and posted them on the blog. Uh, these were from my first book. And then I read them aloud and posted them on the blog. There's a link in the show notes to listen to that audio from 2016. I read a few samples on this short MP3, and Ben's story is told at about the 10 minute and 55 second time count. If you are listening, you can search out my blog, Hidden Experience, and the title of the post was Audio Reading from the Messengers. As I said in the introduction, Ben has had a lot more experiences than we could ever get into just a single hour. Before we leave, I would like to thank Lauren Cutts for his intro and outro music, and also Andrea Lissette Villiers on the gong. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.